Matthew 5, verse number 17. We're going through our Sermon on the Mount series. What did we talk about last time? Mm, we were in the park. Remember that? We didn't, have, we didn't have service last Wednesday. Salt and light. Before that, what did we talk about? We had an eight-week series that we went through. What was it entitled? Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, getting there. It was a series within a series, yes. The Blessed Life series. The Blessed Life series. So now we're moving on from that, but we're still in our Sermon of the Mount series. In verse number 17, I invite you to go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. This is Jesus speaking right after the message um, that He had spoken about salt and light. This is Him speaking to His followers. Remember, He's sitting down. We talked about at the beginning. He is sitting down and all of them are standing. So it's appropriate to have you stand. Verse number 17, the Bible says... This is Jesus speaking. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth shall pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, The same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse number 20. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, but whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, there rememberest thou thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift at the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree without adversary quickly while thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judgment, and the judgment deliver thee to the officer." And thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till all, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. I'd like to preach a message to you tonight simply entitled, Christian Anarchy. Christian Anarchy. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we love you. Lord, I pray that you would bless this message. Lord, I pray if there's anybody in this room tonight who's not received you as their Savior. Uh, Lord, this message is designed for them. Lord, if they've not received you as their Savior, Lord, that they would realize what the law truly means to the unsaved person tonight. Lord, I pray for Christians in this room, Lord, that they would realize that the law is also applicable to them in a sense, Lord, in the sense of knowing our sin. And Father, I pray that you would bless this message tonight. You're my pray. Amen. You may be seated. Christians should do and teach the law of God. Christians should be faithful to obey God's law. There are a lot of silly laws. Have you heard of them? Uh, You guys have probably heard of a lot of silly laws in America. You've probably seen them on uh, the the Instagrams or the Snapchats and the the Twitters and such. You've probably seen them. I'm going to give you a few of them. I've written down 11 of them that I found crazy. So in Alabama, it is illegal to wear a fake mustache that causes laughter in a church building. I don't understand why some of these were made laws. Like, why did they have to be made? Were some men putting their mustaches in such a way where it caused such laughing they had to make a law against it? In Arizona, it's illegal for men and women over the age of 
18, to have less than one missing tooth visible when smiling. Uh, in Delaware, it's illegal to whisper in church. In North Carolina, bingo games cannot last more than five hours. That is the law in North Carolina. How many dead old people had to die before they made that law, right? Bingo games cannot last more than five hours. In Georgia, chickens are not allowed to cross the street legally. In Texas, this is a law. Someone probably tried to do this. It is illegal to sell your eyeballs. Would you imagine being the judge or the person making that law? It is illegal to sell your eyeballs. Someone tried, some dude tried to sell his eyeballs. I'm sure he was sorely disappointed, like... How can he even see his transaction? I don't know. Uh, you may, in Rhode Island, uh, you may not, in Rhode Island on Sunday, you may not sell toothpaste and a toothbrush to the same customer. I know, right? It is illegal to attend a public event or use, tra- this is a really funny one. This is Indiana. It is illegal to, I lost it. It is illegal to attend a public event or use public transportation within four hours of eating onions or garlic. That's a good law. That's a good law. My wife likes to eat these sour cream and onion chips. And mints have no effect. <laughs> like, mints are nothing against it. Like, when I eat them, they're powerful. They're powerful. You know, you have siblings and parents who eat things. And in days, no, it's not days. But uh, if you are found stealing soap, this is a really cool law in Arizona. If you are found stealing soap, you must wash yourself until the bar of soap has been completely used up. That's a good punishment, right? That's a good punishment. And then if you have <laughs> so many mustache laws, if you have a mustache, it's illegal to kiss a woman in Nevada, in specifically Eureka, Nevada. I think that's how you say it. Uh, you can be arrested. This is the last one. You can be arrested or fined for harassing Bigfoot in Washington. These are all real laws on the books. You can look them up. They are real laws in existence. And these laws are all silly, right? Man makes up some silly things sometimes to enforce. Um, I'm sure your parents have made a rule at one point. Just because you did like ridiculous things, your parents had to say things to you that they probably never thought they would have to say. Like, I don't, I don't even want to give examples. They, they probably gave you rules that you're, if you were to remember those rules now, you'd be like, that is a weird rule and I was a weird kid, right? Uh, you would remember that, that you were given some silly rules for some silly things. Uh, but these laws that we talked about are useless. They're silly. But may I tell you this? You live in a world today that views the law of God, the Ten Commandments, as silly and useless. They view them as silly and as useless as the laws that I just read you. But may I tell you that the moral significance of the Ten Commandments that we're about to talk about is extremely important, not just for our culture, but for us as Christians and for the people that we witness to. The law is very important. So let's notice this evening three vital acknowledgments we must make about God's law. Three vital acknowledgments we must make about God's law. First of all, the law has a purpose. Look down at verse number 17. The scripture says, think not that I am come to destroy the law. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, don't think that I'm coming to the earth to, to just abolish the law. That some, some people thought that when the Messiah was to come, that he would come, and some still believe this today, that when Jesus came, that he abolished the law. And in a sense, he did for us. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But they thought that he took all of the Old Testament, all of the prophets' teachings, and threw them in the trash, and now he just has a gospel of grace. 
These are the same gospel teachers that teach that there is no hell any longer. These are the same gospel preachers that preach, like Joel Osteen, that everything will be prosperity, everything will be wonderful when you accept the grace of Jesus Christ in your life, and your life is just going to be easy. But this is not the case. The law has a purpose. So what is the law? We must define it first. What is the law? Look in verse number 19. Let's skip ahead a couple of verses. Verse number 19. Whosoever therefore, speaking about the law, shall break one of these least commandments. So the law is synonymous in this passage with the commandments of God. Later down in the passage, it talks about one jot or one tittle not being removed, speaking of the whole law of God, speaking of the entire Old Testament it's referencing there. So what is the law? It's the Ten Commandments and it's the Scriptures. It is the very law of God. It's what the Bible tells us to do and what it tells us not to do. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. It, it gives us many commands in the Scriptures, but obviously in, in the Bible it gives us a lot of things to do and a lot of things not to do. So what is the purpose of the law? Uh, well, there's a twofold purpose. There's the purpose for the unsaved man. This is really important for you to realize. That the Bible teaches clearly that the law is a schoolmaster to the unsaved. What do I mean there? 1 Timothy 1.8 says, But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient. So what is the law? Galatians 3.21 through 26. It's really important, so pay attention to this whole passage and write it down. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had not been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, this is saying before you got saved, before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up into the faith which we had afterwards be revealed. Verse number 24, Wherefore the law was, a, was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So the law was our schoolmaster. It was what brought us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. And it says in verse 25, But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. That's a, also, if you just take chapter 3, verse 25, you could bring that to your teachers, right? But after the faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Say, I don't have to listen to you, teacher. Look at Galatians 3.25. I'm no longer under school. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. And verse number 26 says, For you are all children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. The law, the Ten Commandments, brings the knowledge of sin to your life, or at least it should. I think I've witnessed and talked to each one of you, probably almost individually, at least you guys, about your faith in Jesus Christ. And I think each one of you, this message is more designed, I was hoping we'd have some visitors tonight, but it doesn't look like we do. This message is more designed for the unsaved because it's important that we tell our friends what sin is that aren't saved. Why? Because if they don't know what the law is and what sin is, if they don't know that what they're doing is wrong, why should they want to change anything? Why would they be convicted of their sin if they don't know what they're doing is sin? If from the moment they were born their heart was depraved and wicked, uh, they won't know what sin is unless they know the law of God. That's why the foundation of our witness, and we'll talk about this with our missions team, the foundation of our witness is to make people realize that they are sinners and that God loves them, right? They are sinners. And what do, we, uh, what do we identify as sin? The breaking of God's commandments, right? And we start at the Ten Commandments. Have you ever lied before? Yes. Have you ever stolen anything, even if it's something small for your brother or sister? Probably. 
even if it's a piece of gum. You've probably done that. Uh, there are many of the commandments that we break almost on a daily basis. Romans three nineteen through 20, we know that the things whatsoever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, for every mouth may be stopped, and the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. You cannot, because of the law of God, work your way to heaven, right? You cannot get to heaven by your good works and by your obedience to the law. We're going to learn in a moment why this is so important because Jesus contrasts the law of himself with the Pharisees and the scribes. And he talks about how our righteousness uh, does not supersede them and therefore we cannot make it to heaven. We'll describe what that means in a moment. But Romans 7, 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. So we can't know sin unless we have the law and the commandments of God. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. So Jesus is clearly describing here through all of these epistles, through all of these amazing things that he's saying, is that the law is extremely important to those people that aren't saved. Why? Because if they don't know God's law, they don't know sin. Now they have conscience, right? Their conscience will say, uh, the conscience either approves things that are right or it condemns things that are wrong, right? And the Holy Spirit does a similar act. But in their lives, what, the, what can they do to their conscience? They can sear it, right? They can blister it like we've talked about. They can get a calloused conscience uh, to where they, they don't really look at things as sin anymore. Um, and we see this in our generation uh, where people don't look at some of these crazy sins as sin. But we must realize it's extremely important to let our friends know that they are sinners and exactly why God says they are sinners. Now, we don't just open up the Bible to our friends and say, uh, Jesus says here, like this isn't how we just start the conversation. I'm about to witness to Hunter. Hey, Hunter, Jesus says here that you're not supposed to lie. You're a liar. Now I know. Don't do that, right? That's kind of awkward. Uh, a good way would be to develop a friendship and then go to him and ask him pointed questions about what he believes and then share with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the law is our schoolmaster. Um, if you remember the moment that you got saved, you remember that someone shared with you probably a couple at least of the Ten Commandments and you realized, I have broken God's law, therefore I'm a sinner. Because I'm a sinner, God cannot accept me into heaven because heaven is a perfect place, right? You all had to have the knowledge of the law in your mind. So that's the purpose for the unsaved, but secondly, the purpose for the Christian. Uh, the purpose for the Christian is to also have the knowledge of sin. Now, we are not under the law in a sense. We are not having to obey every command of God to make our way to heaven. We are under grace, Paul says to us. He says, we are no longer under the law, but we are under grace. But then he goes on later in Romans to say, because we have this grace, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? What, what are the next couple words. God forbid, right? How should we that are free from sin keep continuing is what Paul say. How are we that are freed from sin, that are dead to sin, continue therein? Paul, Paul is saying in that passage that we cannot continue in sin as a Christian because we know the law of God. So not only was it our schoolmaster before we got saved, but now it contributes to our conscience telling us what is right and telling us what is wrong. So it's important for us to know that the law has a purpose. Secondly, in verse number 20, the law cannot save. The second big point. The law cannot save you. Verse number 20 says this, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
Let's read that again. Let's read it all together. Look at verse number 20. Still with me? Look at verse number 20. For I say unto you, read these next words with me, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So what is this saying? Someone tell me what a Pharisee believed. What were Pharisees like? Give me some, some attributes of a Pharisee. Rocky. Prideful, Prideful okay. Hypocritical. Hypocritical, okay. What did the Pharisees focus on? Works. Works. Yes, they work us on, more specifically, what did the Pharisees focus on? Yes. The law. The Pharisees had the law memorized, and the scribes even more. The scribes were uh, philosophers and professionals at the law. These were men that knew the law in and outward. Many of the scribes had the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, memorized. Like, memorized. Like, they could quote it to you, that memorized. And Jesus says, unless your righteousness supersedes that, of the Pharisees and the scribes, you shall in no wise enter in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I would ask for some raise of hands, but some of you would embarrass yourselves. I would ask this. Does some of you think you know more about the law than the Pharisees? No, right? Does some of you think you know more about the law than the scribes? Many of us, if not most of us, are probably not as obedient to the law even as the scribes and Pharisees. So what does Jesus mean when he says, if your righteousness does not surpass that of them, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. They knew all about God, but here's the reason why our righteousness supersedes theirs. It is not our righteousness that gets us to heaven, right? Whose righteousness gets us there? Whose righteousness gets us to heaven? He died on a cross. That's a hint, right? Jesus Christ, His imputed righteousness to us. He gave us His righteousness. They knew all about God. And here's my fear of many even teenagers sitting in this room. You know all about God, but do you know God Himself? Do you have a personal relationship? The scribes and the Pharisees didn't. When Jesus came, they didn't even believe it was Him. They scoffed Him. They, they followed Him not to actually follow Him as disciples. They followed Him to point out things He was doing wrong. Many times in the Scriptures, usually when Jesus is pointing out the faults of someone, it was someone of the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus was pointing out those of the super spiritual. And I pray that you know God today. Not that you just know facts about God. All of you have been through Sunday school. All of you know a lot of Scripture. You, you've memorized many, many verses in the Bible. You know about God. But I hope that you know God. That you know Him personally as your Savior that you know who His Son is, that you know why He came to die for, and you have a personal relationship through faith with Him. In contrast with this righteousness that the scribes and Pharisees had, what is our righteousness? The book of Isaiah says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Your sin will find you out, right? You have sin in your life. And your sin and even your righteousness, the good things that you do, you can live a good life. You could live an awesome life, and guess what? Even if you're mostly righteous the, your whole life, if you commit one sin, one unrighteousness, God cannot accept you into heaven. Why? Because it's not your righteousness that gets you there in the first place. It's not anything about your works that gets you to heaven. It's all about your faith in Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus Christ was dying on that cross, 
And whenever he was buried in that tomb, whenever he rose that third day, he wasn't doing it just to show us a sign that the Messiah had come. He was doing it to give us the gift of his righteousness. And when you get saved, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, his righteousness gets put on your eternal account. So so imagine this, you die, or Jesus comes back and you're standing before God at the judgment seat, or you're standing before God, hopefully none of you do, at the white throne judgment. And Jesus were to ask you, or God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? If you're truly a Christian, you understand that it's not your righteousness, you would say something like this. Well, I should get in not by anything that I have done, but because Jesus Christ came and He died for me, and I simply believed in Him. Not just believed in Him as in He exists. I put my faith in Him. I trusted Him to take me here. And then it's almost as, as there's this line in between you and God, and there's this, there's this eternal separation called sin, but Jesus stepped in the way of you and God. And Jesus takes the place of sin on the cross. He takes all of your filthy rags, all of your disgusting works, all of your sin upon Himself, and His righteousness is imputed. That's a real doctrinal word that just means it's put on your account. That it's settled. It's done. You are justified. Your sin will keep you from heaven, but Jesus Christ is able to make you righteous. You can get away with a lot in life, right? You can, get a, you can hide stuff from your parents. Now, I've got a story. I've got a story. Uh, it's not about hiding something from parents. I've actually only told this story to two people in my entire life, okay? And it's just from college. My wife has not even heard this story. But, okay, so <laughs> I was in chapel one day. You're all interested now. Now you're paying attention. Uh, I was in chapel one day in college, and Pastor Chapel was preaching. Pastor Chapel is the main pastor out there at Lancaster Baptist Church. There's about 7,000 members there, and it's a huge ministry. And he's in chapel one day preaching about 800 college students. And... Uh, He's preaching, uh, I have to get through this without laughing, but he's preaching and he brings out, he has some guys bring out this big board. It's like, uh, it's kind of like that, but you know like the project board that you had in high school or, or middle school when you would like stab insects on it? It was kind of a flimsy, but not flimsy, kind of a solid, what are they called? Card, no, it was thicker than a cardstock. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't a trifold, but it was... It was foam board. That's what it was, foam board covered with paper over top of it, and it had a map of California. And the whole purpose of the message, very inspirational message, uh, very awesome message, he took these red, he had someone, he had someone take these red dots, like these red pins, and he put them in every county and every city of Los Angeles and all of California that didn't have an independent fundamental Baptist church that didn't, as he would think, or, or as we would think, have a good gospel witness, or where there was no one preaching what we preached there. And the map was just filled. And there were red dots all over this. And uh, he said, he, he pointed it to our dean, and he said, he said, uh, Brother Reggie, I want this map, and this thing was huge, like my wingspan, this, this big. I want this map in every men's dormitory. Do it by week. First week starts in Lawrence. So I was the dorm supervisor of all of Lawrence Hall at that time, the biggest guy's dorm. And uh, so Brother Williams delivered that day this huge map, this big foam board map to my dorm. And it had all these red dots and we were all, we would look at it and it was a challenge to us, an inspiration to us that man, the, not just California needs the gospel, but the world needs the gospel. The world needs churches. And it was all about church planning. You need pastors to go out there and start these churches. 
And so I get a call from Brother Williams at the end of this week, and we, we had looked at the board and everything. I get a call from Brother Williams, and he says, I need you to take that board over to Heritage Hall. And Heritage Hall was just the, the dormitory, probably j- just right across the way. There was a big parking lot and then um, a, a street, and then there was the Heritage dorms. So like I said, it's about wingspan, right? So I, I take this thing, and instead of putting it in my car, I decide to walk this over. Well, there's something in the Mojave Desert where Lancaster is called wind. Like really, really, really strong wind. And this board was really important. So I was walking this board over and I had underestimated like the sail, the sailness of this board. Like how powerful the wind was and how big this map was. So I'm carrying this map and I'm starting to notice it like bow. So now I'm nervous. I put it down on the ground. It's getting dirt all on the bottom. I'm like, oh man, there's like, there's no one around, but I don't want to like just like throw it in my car. I'm already halfway there. So I pick it back up. And immediately as I pick it back up, it snaps in half. Like, but the paper is holding it on the back. So it snaps in half and most of the pins fall on the ground. <laughs> so most of the pins, there were, there were like six other dorms that this board needed to go to. And Pastor Chapel was kind of an intimidating guy. So I take the board and I put it flat on the ground and no one's around. So I'm like grabbing pins and like put them in random counties and random states and stuff. And I'm sure like most of the pins were like in Northern California when they need to be in Southern. But the pins were everywhere and I took the board and I got away with this. No one knows this except a couple of people that have actually told this too. I put it in the next dorm and I like set it up like they did it. Like I put it there. <laughs> I put it there and I like leaned it up to where the paper was just right and it looked just beautiful. But I knew right when that next dorm, I knew, I knew the guy that was in that dorm, that's what made funny, that when he went to pick it up to do the same thing as me, that it would just be like, <laughs> and he would just do the same thing and be like, oh, I broke it. No, but I got away with that. You've probably gotten away with a lot too. And, and I'm sorry, that, I just need to get that off my chest. That's been a long time. Uh, but I, I think about that and I think about how serious that sermon was. I just laughed to myself because that moment, it was so humorous to me. But anyways, you've gotten away with stuff too. You've hidden stuff from your parents and hopefully you don't hide stuff from them, but you've probably hidden some sin from your parents. Guys, pay attention. You've probably hidden some things from your friends. You've probably hidden some things from a lot of people. But guess what? You cannot hide your sin from God. And God says, unless your righteousness, He's not even talking about your sin, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no wise inherit the kingdom of God or enter into the kingdom of God. You can't get away with sin. The Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6, but we are all as an unclean thing. And our righteousness, all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we do all fade as the leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us Away. If you're not saved in this room tonight, you need to receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ on your account. You need to pray and, and, and put your faith, put your trust in the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. Thirdly, Christ's righteousness, this is the answer. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Christ's righteousness is the answer to the law for Christians. Christ is our righteousness. Let me read the verse again. For he hath made him, speaking of God, made his son. He hath made him to be sin for us. Jesus Christ became sin. Who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What is the answer to verse number 20? Uh, maybe someone will bring the question to you one day. Are you as righteous as a, as a Pharisee? Are you as righteous as a scribe? You could say, nope, but I serve a God who is. 
No, but I have a living Savior who rose up from the grave that says that His righteousness is put on my account, that Jesus Christ became sin for me. And this is why a lot of you doubt your salvation. You have the wrong understanding of your salvation to begin with. You think that your salvation depends on you. You think it depends on your faith that you've put in Jesus Christ, of your works that you continue to do from Him, when your salvation was never anything about you. And if you think it was in the beginning that you were just going to say some pretty words and then you were going to try your best to live a great life for God and get to heaven, you're not saved to begin with because you didn't truly put your faith in Christ. Putting your faith in Christ is realizing that He becomes your righteousness, that He abolished the law for you, that He is our righteousness. And thirdly and lastly, the law isn't just Ten Commandments. The law isn't just Ten Commandments. And I'll shorten this because we're running out of time. But verses 21 through 26 give a story. Verse 21 says, You have heard it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. Uh, Jesus goes on later to say in verse number, uh, verse number 22 and 23 and number 24, He gives a story of, uh, not really a story, He gives an example of a man that's in church that is giving an offering to Jesus Christ, that is at the altar sacrificing an offering to Jesus Christ, a monetary gift to the Lord. And Jesus says that it's more important for you to leave that altar, leave your money there, don't even give it to God yet, leave it there and go get right with your brother. So how does this relate to the law? Jesus Christ cares more about your motives than He does your actions. We've talked about this before. Jesus Christ is concerned not so much in everything about what you actually do, but what you actually intend to do. Your motives behind something, your motives should drive your life for God. But if you don't have pure motives, you will never do the right things to begin with. And I don't have time to to dive into all this, but Jesus said it's more important to get right with other people in your life than it is even to attend church than it is even to give your tithe and your offering to Jesus Christ. It's more important to be right with others than to be in church. He broadens the scope of the law. The Pharisees and the scribes, and I think he does this because the Pharisees and the scribes had figured out every little detail about the law, and they were following it to the T, and they were were saying, I'm going to do all this. But Jesus says, hey, you're, you're missing the point of the law to begin with. The law before you say you were saved was your schoolmaster. And you have written down, and he's saying to the scribes and the Pharisees, you've written down every little exception, every little law, but you've forgotten completely about your hearts. Later in the scriptures, he says, you guys on the outside, you're like cups that are clean, but on the inside, you're disgusting because you've not dealt with the inward man, but the outward man has everything taken care of. Some of you in this room that, that, that aren't saved, but you have everyone fooled, some of you are like that maybe. And this isn't supposed to, I mean, I I wish we had more visitors here to hear this, but maybe there's one of you that needs to hear this tonight. You can be like the Pharisees and the scribes. You can look like a Christian on the outside. Uh, You can come on the mission trip. Uh, You can do all these amazing things. But if on the inside, God has not imputed His righteousness to you, on the inside, if you don't have the right motives for Jesus Christ, you are like what Jesus says, you are like a whited skeplature. Skeplature, I can't say the word. But you are basically like a tomb. You're like a clean tomb, but on the inside, on the outside of the tomb, it all looks great, but on the inside is death. And we must realize that the law is, is nothing to do with our salvation other than it's a schoolmaster. And for us Christians, it's something to show us what sin is and what sin isn't. Jesus isn't impressed with how good you are, with how much you do. 
that you come on discipleship, that you do things to impress maybe me or Pastor Monty, uh, that you made it on the mission strip team, or that you go on discipleship, or that you go on outreach. Jesus isn't so concerned with those things as He is your motives behind it. Are you doing it for God, or are you doing it for man? He cares about your inward motives more than your outward actions. Because you could do the outward actions all for the wrong reasons, but your inward motives has to be right. I was a good kid. And maybe you guys are good kids. I, I, was a, I was a good kid. I could honestly say that at least up to like eight years old. I was a good kid, right? And a lot of you were like that, at least up to eight years old. My mom tells a story, and I only say this because it kind of applies and because and it's really cute. But at, at five years old, five or six years old, I forget what she said, but I, I had a birthday party. And uh, there was a bunch of, maybe it was birthday or Christmas or sometime where I received a bunch of gifts. My mom had gotten me a lot of gifts. And I was opening up the gifts, and I had opened up the first two, and then I said, I just looked, my mom said, I sat there and I looked content and I said, that's enough, mom. You can take all the rest of these back, right? And some of you were probably like that too. Some of you are excellent kids. Some of you, uh, the church people would look at you and maybe you preached in the sermon thing. Some people would look at you and say, man, that is an awesome person. That is a good kid. But we must realize you can trick everybody in this world. And, and this message, I don't always preach messages like this to you guys because I believe that, that most of you are saved, if not all of you are saved in this room. But if you are having doubts in your mind right now about your salvation, and you think the Holy Spirit is truly telling you, hey, you're not saved. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, you've not received Jesus Christ by faith. Will you accept Him tonight? Will you obey Him tonight? Uh, will you obey his, his command for you to accept Him, for you to get saved? Your righteousness is as filthy rags, but Christ wants to give you His righteousness tonight. For you Christians, will you obey God's commandments tonight? Nine, we are not under the law anymore, but remember this. Nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament. The New Testament, by the way, the thing that we're supposed to be, be, be reading, the thing that we're supposed to be following, the Old Testament as well. But He has abolished the law, yes. Are we under the law? No. We don't have to obey every command to go to heaven. We are under grace if we are saved. However, nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament for our daily Christian living, for us to know what to do the right things to do, and the wrong things to avoid doing? Or will you just continue to live in sin? Twofold invitation tonight. You can go and bow your heads and close your eyes.